Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben off the cheek. This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Your host, Brandon, joining me as always are my co-hosts, Nick and Dan. Dan, the man, uh, hope you're doing all right this weekend. I know it's getting a little crazy up in Seattle, but uh, overall, what a wild weekend of football in whole. Oh, yeah. For for love of football, Brandon, this is why we do the podcast. Uh, Not just an XFL tagline, Nick, but uh, we we do this podcast for the love of football and for the love mainly of Chelsea. Yep, and for the love of teams that we hate uh, having terrible results as well, (laughs) which we somehow... (laughs) Keep getting lucky with, but we'll. we'll it's all about threading about the needle right now. It's about yeah. threading the needle over the last ten Premier League matches. Yep, I tell you what though, um, you know, for all of you American soccer fans out there, too, opening weekend of the MLS season as well. So there's a lot going on out there. Um, obviously, my team didn't play. Nick, I believe yours didn't. Dan, yours didn't as well. So it's probably a bit quiet for us, unless I'm completely wrong. That just shows you how much I pay attention. But anyways. Uh, we are going to be talking about the Bournemouth match, uh, a classic Chelsea roller coaster at this point in the season, the way things are going. Not really surprised uh, by how it went. We had a lot of talk about it last week, um, you know, with Marco saying he expected us to lose. It's going to be a bit of a banana peel match. So um, I think what we can run through in this episode, we'll obviously discuss the heroics of a particular Spaniard. Uh, we'll ask the question about where Chelsea's level currently is at which I feel like changes every single week when we talk. And then we'll go ahead and talk about Chelsea's best team at the moment. Spoiler, it's coached by Emma Hayes. Am I right? So, uh, Dan, iTunes review time. A oh, little little light, little quick turnaround, obviously, since the po- you know the midweek pod that we had this past week. So, uh, you know, just need people to get on, maybe drop a little five-star love here, Nicholas, so that we can... Read a nice review on the next episode. Maybe we could talk about their, yeah, maybe leave a comment in that review about who their most hated team is. So we can kind of read that out and, you know, collect a little feedback there. And, uh, yeah, five-star review. Leave it. Book it. So we also to shout out, we're, we're maniacs last week, and we produced four podcasts for you. There's a lot in your feed right now. Um, in addition to a somber Bayern Munich review, which, um, you know, again, wasn't great. We also had two Chelsea women's podcasts uh, mixed in there. Um, so the first with Jean Wallachon and the second with Claire Watkins. 
uh, talking about all the all the up and coming things with the women's team and a Sam Kerr special. So lots to take in there. So if you haven't uh, gone through those because you're you're you know dialed into the men's team, go go take a listen because they're really good. And, uh, we're excited about the women's team. Yeah, it definitely won't be a, a waste of time, especially now that you know they've won the first of potentially three trophies this season. It's it's going to be exciting. Uh, you know, singles Patreon, uh, no new shoutouts, but just a reminder uh, that we are offering metallic badges or pins, uh, as well as stickers as well for signing up. But most importantly, it all comes down to the Discord server. That's where our community of Chelsea fans live and breathe. So uh, keep that up. Uh, no new offers right now, Nick, but that doesn't mean something's not a brewing. Yeah, we're, we're close with, uh, with Talisman to announcing a new contest. Obviously, we wanted to give a little bit of room to breathe uh, after our three retro uh, kit shout-out. So uh, in the next week or so, look for an update. Uh, they have some new merch that is Chelsea-related that perhaps, if you're a fan of a one hat-trick hero, you, you may be seeing this come to a feed near you. So... Uh, stay tuned on that for, for next week, and we will be sure to uh, to give some goodies away. That's what we do here. We want to give back. Yes. So what we will be doing now, running through the match review, it was AFC Bournemouth away at Dean Court in the Premier League uh, this past Saturday, February 28th. Uh, in case you missed it, Bournemouth 2, Chelsea 2. So if we run through the goals. February 29th. It was leap day. Oh, that is right. That's not even a real day. That's why yeah. I didn't even want to read it. It's it's a real day. It's on yeah. the calendar. Okay. February, well. It's a leap day, bro. <laughs> Once every <laughs> few years. Goals. All right. So let's run them through. Obviously, these are all courtesy of the Fifth Stand app. If you haven't downloaded Chelsea's official app, uh, you're missing out a lot, a lot of great content, including uh, if Chelsea were to start their Premier League Hall of Fame, who would you have selected? So uh, go back and vote if you missed it. But uh, 33rd minute, it was Marcos Alonso. Let's listen back to that one. Really good ball in from James, flicked off the crossbar yeah. and hammered in by Marcos Alonso. Next up, unfortunately, went to Bournemouth in the 54th minute. Jefferson Lerma, let's hear how that went down. This flighted ball is a good one and it's powered in for the equaliser by Jefferson Lerma. And Chelsea's lead wiped out. And then three minutes later, Joshua King completing the comeback for Bournemouth in 57th, 57th minute. Here's Stacey, he's got Wilson square and for a tapping at the far post is Josh King. And then our hero, Marcos Alonso, 85th minute, rescues a point, even though that probably isn't good enough. Let's listen. Here's Pedro. Good save, Ramsdale. And in by Alonso for 2-2. And that is how it went, gentlemen. 2-2. Not at all what we wanted. Uh, We had many chances to go 2-0 up. We didn't do it. Um, And what was super annoying to me... Okay, so the first one came off a corner kick. So if we look, Chelsea have given up the eighth most goals from set pieces this season in the Premier League at nine. Um, Above us is Manchester United and Arsenal, which, okay, they're below us in the table. And you can see when Man City, Leicester, Liverpool, Tottenham are all pretty much at the bottom of that with only giving up a handful a season. I feel like that's just a huge difference in where Chelsea are at and then when you compound it because the next one was a counterattack three minutes later Chelsea have given up the third most counterattack goals in the Premier League this season now it is five and fourth is four and then a bunch of teams are at three doesn't that feel low <laughs> like honestly both do both do but either way Nick we're at the wrong end of these goals conceded tables this season and it's been a huge issue and literally Bournemouth was nailing both of them back to back. I mean the the story hasn't changed, right? I mean the story is Chelsea were dominant in the first half. They passed the ball with ease, they looked comfortable. They should have had two or three goals. They didn't finish a couple of really easy opportunities and then in a 5-minute period of madness, uh Bournemouth were up and the announcers couldn't believe it. Um you know, I was furious, still am. Uh, and that you know Chelsea have to you know claw our way back in this game, Dan. A, a game that we should have easily comfortably won four, five, one or two. Like this was a, I, I don't know, man. I, it, 
I'm I'm kind of speechless because the story is is this is kind of who this team is. Yeah, I don't feel terribly surprised, uh, but you know, in the in the weird type of context of things, we have also just not managed to play Bournemouth well for a sustained period of time. I mean, we lost the last two matches against them. Uh, you know, uh, nil one. We lost uh, before that four nothing. Uh, we beat them in the League Cup. We won uh, 2-0 in the Premier League, and then we lost uh, 0-3. So they they have been a bit of a frustrating team for us, Brandon, for a sustained period of time. And I think that's a credit to, to Eddie Howe, in addition to, uh, you know, to the next point, not taking advantage of the opportunities that present themselves. Well, many opportunities were presented in this match, Dan, so go ahead and run us through the lineup to see who missed said opportunities. <laughs> well, we had... <laughs> Way to, to, to frame that. <laughs> we had Willie Caballero between the sticks, Azpilicueta, Christensen, and Tomori started as the back three. Reese James and Alonso in the wing back type of positions in the midfield four with Kovacic and Jorginho in the center, Pedro and Mount behind Olivier Giroud. Our bench included such individuals as Kepa Aretha Balaga, Antonio Rudiger, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and Billy Gilmore, all of which were unused substitutions. Ross Barkley, William, and Mishi all did, though, make an appearance in this match for uh, Tomori, Jorginho, and Giroud, who went off at points in the game. Well, Alonzo you know, is playing again. Uh, Frank sticking with the, the wingback system going into this one. So this will be the third match in a row. Um, I just have to think that it's because he doesn't trust Ross, Ruben, or Billy Gilmore to go in the midfield three. So I feel like he's a little stuck in it. Um, Caballero playing again. I think this is more than just sending a message. Uh, I think it was Mark Schwartzer had quotes from this week saying, it's probably the best thing for Keppa is to be pulled out of the limelight and just have him focus on his training and getting back to where he needs to be. So I thought that was kind of an interesting perspective from a very uh, experienced goalkeeper who's been in the Premier League for a long time. Uh, and kind of seeing how he perceived it. Because to me, it, the, the obvious thing is he, he gone. He's leaving the summer. But maybe not. Uh, William out again after maybe talking to Brazilian radio about uh, his, his wish for a three-year contract at the ripe age of 32, which is pretty unheard of. If Chelsea are offering him a two-year contract, that seems quite generous in itself. You know, you know Nick, what I like to do after I have maybe a bad performance at work Sure. Is you know, maybe maybe a project wasn't completed on time and, you know, blew up in the faces of myself and my boss is I tend to go talk very publicly to groups of people about how I'm hoping that I'll get a raise and uh, in the next kind of performance review cycle because, you know, I, I really deserve it. And, you know, if not, I'll probably go someplace else. Dan, step into my office really quick. Um, <laughs> we're going to we're going to have you. Can, come can in I and- borrow you for a minute? <laughs> How did you get fired on your off day? You know, um, yeah, I, I think the Williams story is actually really compelling right now because you think about Mason, Ross, uh, and Pedro, all people who, uh, you know, if you think back to November, Brandon, yeah. were were far behind William in the pecking order. You could only say really that Pulisic and, and Callum have, have really challenged for his spot this year, and Frank is clearly having none of that right now. Um, and, and, you know, you would have thought yesterday he could have made a huge impact starting from the front, but there's a message being sent to him too. Yes. I mean, when when you have to use Pedro to send a message of like, this is where you stand in the team, because we all know that Frank was happy to not play Pedro all season. Uh, I kind of laughed when poor William, when he came on, is when it started to rain and get disgusting. I'm like, oh, yes. This Brazilian creative player will love playing in Bournemouth in this yeah. 45 degree temperature, pouring rain, eventually hailed. Uh-huh. I was like, it's going to take him a while to get going. And, you know, it, he, he did some stuff, you know, but again, interesting tactics from the Brazilian. We'll have to see how it plays out. I can't imagine Marina buying any of it or having the patience for it. And it seems like Frank's on the same page as well. So. Um, yeah, more, more to come on that. Uh, High-level statistics, Chelsea had 23 shots, but only six on target. Bournemouth had nine shots, five on target. We had 74% of possession, five fouls to their eight. We each had two cautions. 
14 corners and about eight different corner kick takers <laughs> because no one could step up and do it consistently. And then you get like Mason would hit good one good one and then hit it to the front post man again. It was just so, so inconsistent. And another frustrating thing that we can talk about later, but I think this just goes to, you know, obviously Frank's comments at large that uh, we're missing a goal threat. There's clearly a massive gap in the team right now, and we're not figuring out how to do it. Just 23 shots and six of them on target. That is not good enough. And it's a spe- it's not like we're playing Bayern Munich here. Like, it's especially not good enough against a Bournemouth team that's been leaking goals all year. That is crazy to me. Here, here, here's the interesting thing. If we had beaten Bournemouth earlier in the season and we won today, they actually would be at the bottom of the Premier League table. We are, we are keeping them up in the league, whether that's an act of charity or just due down to uh, some incompetence in moments from individual players. We'll leave that to you to decide, but... <laughs> It, it, it's 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 maddening that a team that really has been been a bogey over the last two seasons is just continuing to to frustrate it. But I mean, again, I think it is a credit to how find a way, make a way to stay up with a team that doesn't invest anywhere to the capacity that a Chelsea or a United or Spurs is, is doing. So of those 23 shots, one hit the woodwork, which we know is Giroud's near post header that ended up being scored by Alonso. Um, so that, you know, essentially went towards a goal. So that can't even be like, oh, well, we would have had that post as well. We had six shots on target, 12 off target, and five blocked. So that is the math on how that breaks down. And it's not great, but... The man who is delivering goals right now, no matter if we are playing Spurs or not, is Marcos Alonso, who runs down the wing for me, rescued a point, which is disgusting to say after leading against relegation-battling Bournemouth, to help us gain ground on Leicester, who lost Friday, and keep a little distance from the other sides looking to claim a top four or five, thanks to City. And as we talked about it in the Premier League, Man United taking on Wolves, Tottenham, or no, Man United, Everton, Tottenham, and Wolves. We knew it was going to be a good Sunday for us. Lester lost. We're rolling into this one and, well, fell a little flat to say the least. So, Nick, 19 from at Opta Joe. Marcos Alonso scored 19 goals in the Premier League for Chelsea, the most of any defender in the competition since the start of the 2016 17 season. What a resource. Is he really a defender? No, but. But boy, but boy, can he can he start up front for us? Sure, I mean, let's talk about it. I, like, I, I, I will say out there. <laughs> I know, uh, and it's a you know you're trying to do your Marcus Alonso lookalike tweet. Um, we can get that going again. But <laughs> I, what I will say about Marcus Alonso, for as bad as he was against Bayern Munich, and and he was he was quite bad. He was easily the best player on the pitch yesterday. Like, uh, kind of a country mile. You know, it was like him and maybe Billings from Bournemouth right underneath him, who I thought had a good game. But I, I thought he was unbelievable. He controlled the ball in tight spaces. He played key passes. He obviously has the best shot of anyone in this team, um, maybe bar none. Um, and I think was unlucky, Dan, to not get a third off of that header that he that he had at the end where he, he was trying to put it far post and didn't it didn't quite come off, but he had a bunch of chances yesterday just to go at this alone. Unfortunately, I mean, it's crazy. He also benefited from, I mean, when you, when you look at the fact that Reese was kind of pinging it across to kind of pull the, the, you know, the really, really compact Bournemouth side apart at times, like a, like a bit of a cheese, you know, just like this pulling them to the point where we stretch them enough to, to get through or get around. But to his credit, Marcus Alonso just doesn't doesn't really give up. And what I will say is that for all of his faults, right, we can kind of talk about the fact that maybe he's uh, slow, even though I think Nazar put out a Nazar from Goal.com put out a tweet about how he hit the top speed today on the pitch, which, you know, he's just again, he's tall and lanky. So his gait looks really odd compared to some of the players that are shorter and just move at speed like an Angolo or a William uh, when, they, when they're they moving at full speed. But 
I would rather have him as the individual starting than than an Emerson or trying to put Aspi on that side right now because it just doesn't. At least there, you're getting the the threat of the goal, Brandon. And you know, if we're gonna pull people across the pitch, you're gonna have an opportunity for whoever's in that wing back position to push forward, to get in deep spaces, and to really help overload the box, which is I think what what he helped us do. Is that a back four or back five? Because you think he's gonna play left back in a back four where he actually has some defensive responsibilities? Because oh no no, it needs it needs to be a five. Right. So now we're back to you know he's your specialist player, it's like a punt returner. You know, like you only need him in certain situations. But why not start him up top on the left in a well, front three? So can we clarify what up top is? Because I had some people on Twitter saying a second striker, and I think that's lunacy. He, I think he should be winner, an out wide. Like, yeah, yeah, where Pedro was today. He does such a good job of finding space when he can just drift and wait when the ball's on the right, and he times it coming in so well. I, I Look, I don't think you lose much. Uh, he's Spanish. He can play short passes. He can move. But at the end of the day, he hits, he strikes the ball so clean, Nick, and he gives us the best chance of scoring, uh, I think, that we have right now, which is, it sounds stupid to say. Now, to be fair, he had he was directly involved in eleven shots uh, uh, today. Whether he was passing or assisting, but think about that. He created eleven shots himself or for other people today. That's what we need. That's what Chelsea need right now. Our chances. I I am all on board for him being a left winger for us. <laughs> like honestly, I and I know that there have been times on the show where we have you know not been necessarily as kind to the defensive side of his game. And I think it's it's just kind of a well-known quantity for a guy who, you know, is definitely in the mature stage of his career now that he's he's probably not going to get a whole lot quicker at this stage. But you looked yesterday, and, and the thing that I saw, Dan, from Bournemouth, especially when Mark Salonzo had the ball, is that they were drawn to him because he was a threat, which opened up space that no other front player for us could create on their own. They had to come to him, even in wide areas, because they're worried about his crossing, which we don't have a whole lot of in spades um, outside of Reese and, and Alonzo. So I don't know. I, I I am super intrigued by this prospect. And, at, you know, I think the worst thing that can happen is you have a left wing back playing left forward, and then you have Aspi slotted in behind him. And and maybe you have a little bit more cover. I don't, you know, maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, four back set. You got the Spanish connection on the left, uh, so they're able to communicate and work through. Because obviously, Aspi's going to be all over him because that's the way he is, Dan. Um, <laughs> I, I and I think this just kind of goes to say, you said the name Emerson Palmieri, but no one else has. Dude is an afterthought at this point, and we thought he was. By far and away, one of our strongest players in about October this season. Well, I, I don't think it's come as a surprise with the links to, to Chilwell, the fact that Tellez is not going to renew his contract, and he's had you know has one year left, so they're probably going to look to find a way to sell him. I mean, there, there are definitely names that we've been linked to previously from a left-back perspective that are going to be out there in you know two to three months' time that we might be considering, and, you know, I think if you're going to get rid of one of the two, I'm probably of the mind that you keep Marcus Alonso and you allow Emerson to head to Juventus or you know wherever there's a good market for him. Because at least with Alonso, he's not going. I think actually he's better when he doesn't have to play game in and game out when he can get those little bits of a break. And look, he, he, he just even played three helped. matches in, a, in, a, in seven well, well, days. Yeah. <laughs> Here, here's what, here's what he did. It's a very tactical decision on his Took part on uh, midweek. Yeah. <laughs> he got himself out early Damn so they could start the reconditioning process there and uh, gave him the opportunity to really give us all in this, this match here over the weekend. So he's, he's just, he's got his left foot should be enshrined. Uh, he almost has scored some wonderful ones with the, the with the right two, and you know he was almost the most unlikely post Pulisic hat trick that this club would have seen in quite some time, and he's our top scorer in the Premier League for the 2020 calendar year. Okay, Harry it, Kane, it's stupid. Be is, is he really? Is he really? <laughs> he has scored the most Premier League goals for Chelsea since, since the yeah, start of 2020. What is that? In the Premier three? League, three. Yeah. 
Oh gosh. Which so, also shows you another problem, yeah, which is exactly. it's which, the first yeah. of March as we're recording this. Can I hit you with a stat from our our boy Jake Cohen? I love love good Jake stat. He said Mark Alonso now has nineteen non penalty goals in one hundred and five Premier League matches for Chelsea. For perspective, that's two more than Steven Gerrard scored in his last one hundred and five Premier League matches. Ayo and Liverpool lost this weekend. Suck it, pylon. So we gained ground on them this weekend. <laughs> so for for the record, uh, when you're thinking about Premier League midfielders for the Hall of Fame, it should go Frank Lampard, Paul Scholes, Marcus Alonso, <laughs> and then Steven Gerrard in the in the fourth spot. So. Uh. <laughs> All right. So, but but I think I think to the point that you're making, Brandon, about mm-hmm. this, like, should we try him up front? I I don't think there's a risk to it, but I also think that because other players are pulling people out of position, he benefits from the creation of space from that left wing back position in a way that he wouldn't necessarily or always if he's actually up front and getting a little bit more marked. So Yeah, so Marcus Alonso is in fourth, tied on four goals with William Jorginho uh, for goals in entirety this season. Pulisic above him with five, Mount above him with five, and Tammy at 13. So, I mean, that's the whole picture, but it, it, this isn't great. And honestly, like I know Alonso is having a nice little stretch right now, so we can go ahead and chalk that up to some recency bias. Like, we should probably have neither him or Palmieri at the club at the beginning of next season. If the club is able to do the work they need to do, if are, are, if, are if, as, if bringing as, in ten new players, well, like, a, you, yes. you're not going to wholesale change the entire you team in one summer. You bring in one left back, and you have Asby who can play center back, left back, right back. He's your utility man at this point. And if you have Reese James on the right. You know, maybe you give Aspie at the left and you have someone come in behind, give them a little time to adapt to the Premier League if it's not a Premier League player. But if you were to lose both Palmieri and uh, and Alonso next season, look, I think we're all sitting here saying that is a huge weakness in our team, that we have to have a, a heavy legs, ran millions of miles in, in playing football in his career, and Aspie playing on the left right now is our best option. That's not good enough for a club like Chelsea because I'm still super bitter after this Bayern match looking hypercritical at these players. So Alonso, I'm happy to move him up the field and see how he does. I think that's an experiment worth taking this season because it's like Ed Nazard. You didn't ask him to defend because he can't. So why are we asking Marcos Alonso to defend when that's not his strong suit? Well, yeah, I mean, it's to me, it's, it's promoting someone's strengths right and and maybe negating a bit of their a bit of their weaknesses and i for for all of the talk that we've had this year of shot conversion and shots on target and all the things that we know are not good enough for this club marcus alonso in limited time where he's gone months without playing and then is thrown back in three games in a row which by the way that's tough it's a tough thing that frank just asked him to do ask tomori right Right, exactly. Um, you know, it's it's a really hard thing. I, I think I think it makes a ton of sense for him to play left wing for the foreseeable future. Give Mason maybe a bit of a break or, or move him out to the right and, and just see what we can do because whatever we're doing right now ain't working. Mm-hmm. And we got to figure out a different way forward. You can't just get stuck doing the same shit. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Like I said, uh, you, know, you know, I guess I should split up my two points. Long term... Alonzo shouldn't be the answer. Short term, he is producing at a level that uh, other players are not, and we need that. And again, Frank saying post-match, I don't want my left back to be my top scorer. Yet, from a calendar year perspective, according to Dan, Alonzo is just that, our top goal scorer in that category. So we have a big discussion, a little introspective chat about where we are where we need to be, and kind of what needs to happen in the rest of the season. So we're going to take a really quick break. A thank you to the sponsors for supporting the show financially when we're back. It's all about the last 10 matches in the Premier League, the FA Cup match on Tuesday. Where are we? Where do we need to be? What is the future of Chelsea um, so far after this season? So we'll be right back. All right, Dan, crystal ball time. With 10 matches left in the Premier League season, an FA Cup match on Tuesday against Liverpool, against a side that couldn't even beat Watford, which probably needs a huge asterisk, 
and a Champions League reverse fixture against Bayern that looks potentially more valuable as an extended scrimmage. What, where would you kind of rank Chelsea's level right now? And and maybe you want to use a a comparison to a previous Chelsea team. Maybe you want to compare us to the Premier League table where you think we should be. I don't know. I, I'm pretty flexible. I just kind of want to hear where, what your assessment of the club is right now. Brandon is uh, Gumby mode, super flexible today. And uh, we're, we're top 14. We're top 14 in the Premier League. We are not equipped to compete in European football at the moment. We're lacking pace, we're lacking speed, we're lacking a multitude of goal scorers. And we are the also the beneficiary of a lot of results, much like last season. Actually, I think last season's comp to this season's comp is pretty similar, where we haven't improved much in any area in terms of maybe finding a, a goal scorer that, if you could say healthy, is, is great for the Premier League. You also found out that maybe your 70 million pound keeper is not 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 worth the uh the price you paid and maybe you wish that there was a return policy on these type of things but i think the the results speak to the where we are exactly right now nick and we're we're top four side in the premier league you could argue that we're not as good as that but i mean you are what your record is and our record is that we're a top four side regardless of the fact that right now we're in a, a bad patch Overall, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't see it that way. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking around, and it, uh, we are more a, a, not a victim of circumstance, but, but are being promoted by circumstance, than we are being promoted by our own play on a week to week basis. Um, it, there is a ton to figure out at this club. Uh, the. The cracks that have been papered over by Eden Hazard and some luck and some other things going our way over the last three, four years are very clearly split open. And not only is it a, you know, a player talent thing, I think there's some coaching that needs to happen over, over the offseason to make sure that if Frank Lampard has a vision for how he wants to play football, that he has players that can execute the vision and that his vision is actually the right one. Um, you know, at times this year, I've been kind of lost there. Uh, and so, I don't know. I, like, if you if you would have told me at any point in the Premier League season that we would have won five of 16, which is where we are, I would tell you that, you know, the likelihood that we were in 10th was way better than the likelihood that we were in fourth. You can tell me you know, Dan, that the record is what it is and that, you know, we are in fourth and that that means we're the fourth best team. I I struggle mightily with that. I just, I don't think that this team, if, if we limp over the line, it will be an incredible achievement uh, just based on, on what we now know is a lack of goal scoring talent. But man, I, I just really struggle to see it. And especially after the Champions League place uh, or, or match on Wednesday, uh, I, you know, I, you know, I feel even worse about it, honestly. Well, I, I think to that point, and I, I definitely agree with the fact that we are, we are not a European elite side. I think that was made very, very clear going up against Byron. You know, even if Alfonso Davies had just an absolute wonder match, but you know, Lewandowski before being injured still looked amazing. I mean, so there's a, a lot of things we need to do to be competitive in that regard. But I think there's also just a challenge where a lot of these other Premier League sides, whether it be United, Wolves, Spurs, Sheffield, I mean, Arsenal still in 10th place with a with the game to play. I mean, the, the whole quality of the league, I think, has subsided at the exact same time. And it's going to be interesting, Brandon, to see heading into the end of this season, the start of next season, can the Premier League as a whole improve in in the quality of play and i mean maybe actually the fact that it hasn't quickly over the past two to three seasons has also been a contributing factor to how we framed our thoughts around well we're, you know we're a top two three side in the premier league so of course we're going to be great but that that just hasn't translated to european success which is the hardest level of success you know to be fair so remember when we won the league under Juan Don Conte? 
everyone said that season you won the league when this well you won the, the 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 Premier League when everyone was shit. So we were 15 points better than Man City that season. We beat Spurs by seven points, who were in second. We were 17 points better than Liverpool, who were in fourth. Arsenal fifth, United sixth, Everton seventh. And I think that that's happened. The season before, Leicester won the Premier League. And, you know, last year was a really strong Premier League season overall. But I just, it's not a great season. If you if we want to say, you know, top four is the bar, I think we have to be realistic and be like, it's not a good top four season. Again, if Arsenal, who spend big, are in 10th, if Tottenham, who have Mourinho in a new stadium and injury problems with the problem, you know, are in 7th, Wolves sixth, United five, like it's. I would put. I'd give us like a like a C plus, B minus right now, and a large part of this though is we had a transfer ban. There's no way around it. It happened. Chelsea did zero business this summer, while other teams were allowed to go spend whatever money they could, and I think that that's something to take into consideration. So we go into the season with a thin squad, but now where I get really concerned, Nick. Are the injuries? I, I think we had a little bit of an inkling last season that maybe the medical department had a role to play. This season, I'm really concerned. The amount of injuries that are happening at the frequency and the severity. I, I, I am not a medical professional. I'm not going to say. All I know is that Chelsea used to never have injuries, and it was Arsenal and Spurs all the time. Now all of a sudden, we're seeing injuries, Tammy getting injured in a cool down. I I know it just there's a change and I don't know if it's a freak accident or what. I just want to call out that something has changed in that situation and I don't know what, but it scares me. No, I mean it's a it's a thing. You know, we talked about this after after Bayern is, is you know there has to be a hard look all around the club, not just the players, not just the coaches, medical staff, nutritionists like Everybody has to to step up a level next year for for Chelsea to be where where we know that they can be as a as a club, and all these injuries to to players, you know who are who are typically not injury prone is tough. You know RLC being the exception out of the group, but his was a freak accident. I mean you can't really do anything about that. The and he has the, chronic injuries too. We just right. know that he's just a big unit. Yeah. You know whatever but i think there is yeah there there has to be something that's taken a look at within the club not only how hard frank pushes these guys and how many matches in a row they play and like all this stuff but dan i mean there to me if if you can go through a season with as few injuries as possible i think it puts you in a position to easily be top four if you're at this kind of quality level and so it's a huge impact totally fair I think when you take a look at the players who've been injured for any extended periods this season, whether that's Pulisic, whether that's Tammy, Callum getting back to fitness and then finding his way out of fitness again, RLC and his injury, and Golo Conte now getting injured, you put yourself in a position where you now have to field sides that don't get the rest, don't get the rotation. I think one of our questions that we got asked in, in Discord was to talk about why would we put a Billy Gilmore or a Ruben Loftus-Cheek on the bench if they're not ready? I, mean, I think we're playing a formation right now that's being dictated by the fact that we don't have enough midfielders. And so if Jorginho goes out injured, if Kovacic goes out injured, maybe you put Mount back, you bring in William. And there's clearly a group of players that Frank wants to go to first I think it's maybe cause a little bit of a trust issue there where you know he only has a set number that he can go to and his ultimate starting 11 has not been on the pitch together maybe more than a few times in earlier in the season and so I I think that it, it, to me it's just you know this whole season is is an asterisk it's it is the it's going to be really great if we finish top four, we, we stay in the Champions League, we've grown a couple of players and, and don't have to go out and buy a ton. But if it doesn't go according to plan, I, I think it's really hard to take away as many learnings as we would hope 
Brandon into next season. Yeah, a lot to go. I mean, just to kind of wrap that one up, unfortunately, you know, if Mount plays in the midfield to Nick's point, we're not really playing Frank's style. We're not doing his plan. We're essentially being pigeonholed into, you know, putting round pegs and square holes, and it's not going to further Frank's progression with this team any better than, you know, than if we he wasn't doing it. And then you go and look at, we're still without an away win in 2020. Four games, zero wins, three draws, a defeat. Chelsea are winless in four Premier League away games because we haven't been able to do that since 2015. I don't, like, we're coming back to the dark days, and this is not what we want. So you can't win at home, and you can't win away. <laughs> like, you know, I mean... It, Draw specialists. Yeah, it's a tough, I mean... It's where it's where I want to see, and we started talking about this a little bit in the Bayern recap, is I want to see a little bit more from Frank uh, at this moment. It's a tough moment. It's really easy to say players aren't executing at the level I need them to, and he's 100% right on that. But I need to see more from him. I need to see more examples of, of, his, of his leadership, and not because I'm questioning him, but I think he, he needs to wrap his arms around this team in a crucial moment and say, like, Guys, like I'm going to take a lot of this on myself to give you a, a breather, but we got to go out and hit this next one, right? We got to go do it. And if you're telling me that they have practice finishing to the point of exhaustion every day during during training, I I am baffled by that. So then like, you go to the build up. You just work your right. way back. <laughs> I, so I don't know. I, I this is not a critique necessarily, of Frank. I just I think the leadership style. That Mourinho did hit when his when he was kind of at the peak of his powers is probably where I would lean towards right now and just try and deflect as much attention off of what are underperforming players right now as humanly possible. Yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's a super fair point. Um, but in in an effort to to get to everything we want to in this episode, I will kind of cut this one short, uh, wrapping with the Dan of the match poll. Um, super clever, Dan. I'm surprised, Mar- you know, one lost out to the other. But there's always a winner and a loser in a poll. Well, again, Twitter forces you to have two options. So clearly the two options that we need to put in there was just one word, Nick Marcus, one word, Alonzo. Marcus Alonzo, the winner with 100% of the combined vote, uh, but uh, Alonzo with the 63% to the uh, 37% that Marcos got. Clearly, people love the last name. Marcos like Narcos, man. He he needs to... Uh, I think Marcos would have been my vote of those two. I like Marcos better. <laughs> I did vote for Alonzo, and I never vote. I just wanted to see what the stats were. Uh, the table as it stands, Liverpool, who have finally lost, are running away with its 79 points. Man City in the Carabao Cup final right now in second with the game in hand at 57 points. Leicester losing Friday in third. 50 points. Chelsea... All right, fourth place, 45 points. We've drawn one, lost, drawn, drawn in our last five. Not great. We would have been three points behind them if we would have beat freaking Bournemouth. Yep. We would have been three points behind Leicester. That was unfathomable two weeks ago. Yep. You know, 18th eighteenth place Bournemouth, by the way. Uh, United s- stealing a draw, essentially. Uh, 42 points, so we have a three-point lead on them. Thankfully, they didn't get full points in fifth. Wolves in sixth, doing God's work, beating Spurs. So they are on 42 points. Tottenham seventh on 40 points. So that's your top seven. Obviously, there's not a huge gap between us and Spurs in seventh or Sheffield in eighth, who are also on 40 points. But it's got to be better. We are literally stealing fourth place the way this season has gone with the amount of results that have been dropped around us. And uh, that leads us to the updated 538 top four probability. Dan, make it quick. I will. Well, uh, no surprise. Liverpool, 99 plus percent chance to win the league. Shocker. But when it comes to probabilities for top four finish, City obviously excluded due to their ban from the Champions League play. Leicester at 92% probability to get into a Champions League spot. Chelsea ticked up actually after the results on Sunday to 68% and then a probability. And then Man United at 53, Wolves at 41. Spurs falling down a little bit there, 23. And Sheffield at 12. Arsenal 
very, very far back at a 6% probability. So that a lot would have to happen for them to make it back into a Champions League spot. Which no one's rooting for. So uh, wrapping up this episode, we have a trophy to celebrate. Chelsea Woo! community worldwide. In case you yes. missed it, and I don't know how you might have, because I retweeted about 150 different things about this <laughs> yesterday. Yes, you did. I could not oh my get gosh. enough of it. All right. Uh, the Chelsea women beating Arsenal 2-1 in the Continental Tires Cup, the Conti Cup. And I tell you what, late drama, Nick. Chelsea leading most of the match, one nothing. Arsenal, late equalizer, but Bethany England had a response in stoppage time. It couldn't have get gotten any more dramatic, any more exciting. Pure Chelsea all the way through. Yeah, it's it's the kind of run into the box far post that that our men need to to figure out. Um, just just uh, an unbelievable uh, drive in. Uh, I think it was Mielda who who ends up making the final cross. Yep, and uh, and just. Clutch gene, man. Uh, if you're clutch, you show up in that moment and you tap it in for the winner. Uh, I could just say a quick Kobe for her because that is uh, it's it's a wonderful thing to to come up clutch and to hit the game winner like that. So, uh, Dan Beth England, feel free to wax poetic. You, we could dedicate a whole episode to Beth England. We probably maybe we should do that this summer because it'll give us something super positive to talk about. Uh, there's actually a really good article. Uh, we don't, I don't think we've retweeted it yet, but uh, from Amy from Goal talks about the journey that she had, like going to Liverpool, thinking she wasn't wanted, and now has come back and really is putting herself in the pole position to be the leading striker for the England women team, the Lionesses, because she just comes up with goals all the time. And and the second goal, super set up by Sam Kerr with just an amazing run down the side, kind of incredible ability to keep the ball control of their feet. And, uh, you know, on the other side, I, I know we hate to l- allow Brandon to talk about goalkeepers on this podcast, but Berger was immense in this game too. And if it wasn't Beth England, who was the player of the match, you would have to give it up to Berger. Hey, you know, you want your goalkeeper to come up clutch. It's a do-or-die position, and, uh, you know, signing her has been a massive um, a massive win. I believe she came from Birmingham. Uh, I'm happy. Good for her. You know, talking about the manager who sets the tone, sets the culture, sets the style, Emma Hayes, MBE on Twitter. She says to our fans, have a brilliant day out. This is what football is about being together with friends and family and watching the game and team that we love so much. I'm proud to represent you all. Blue heart, hashtag keep the blue flag flying high. And if I can, we're going to go ahead and put in the gaffer's words, the 10-second clip of what she had post-match on the sideline to say after this one. We saved that one right to the last. They said they want it. was all under control, but it's blue. If you haven't, we have retweeted it. Go to the Chelsea FC women's Twitter account, Emma Hayes, on the sideline right after the match, talking to Chelsea TV, uh, just talking about what it's all about, the excitement, the energy. There's nothing better. I get chills thinking about this, guys, when the the, the men's season is kind of up and down. Nick, we've been able to turn to the women's team to see pride, to see passion, and to see the DNA in this club being carried through by them. And the trophy is it. And again, this is one of three that we potentially have to win this season. And oh my gosh, this team is so, so exciting. I love it. Yeah, her her sixth trophy is Chelsea manager. So just, you know, a casual six there. Um, I, I think the reason that people love Emma Hayes is that she is direct. She's authentic. She doesn't pull punches. And she she said yesterday in a tweet after the game, to my team, resilience is learned, but only if you're willing to open your heart to the truth. The best team lost, the most resilient team won. To the fans, you make us proud to represent. Uh, and then hashtag we know what we are or who we are. So uh, she even in even in victory, Dan is able to look at the performance and say maybe this wasn't our best, right? Maybe this wasn't you know the the you know we smacked Arsenal. 4-1 earlier in the season, right? M- maybe they came back with a little bit of, of, of extra for us, but 
they they were resilient. They put one in in the 90, 90th plus one minute, um, and it was. I don't know. I, I just love her for being authentic. Well, Lucia starts to the top and she sets the tone and does it in a way that is both direct and kind and unassuming at times, but she just demands consistency through the actions of her team. And boy, oh boy, um, lifetime contract. Just let her have it. Let her keep going. And, you know, we're putting ourselves in a position to, to do the treble here, which would be amazing, and put ourselves back in the Women's Champions League next season. And I feel like this team is so well-equipped to maybe maybe four trophies next year? Mm. Maybe, Brandon, four trophies? Hey, tell you what, all I have to say is don't sleep on this team. Go to the Chelsea Fifth Stand app. Watch back the highlights. Watch the interviews. These players are fantastic, especially the last goal. The, Nick, you, you kind of touched on but the, the Mielda touch where she just cuts it back away from the defender and then slots it through. I mean, this team is exciting. They're, they're ecstatic. Don't sleep on the women's team. I know we love the Chelsea youth as well. This is a, a huge part of the club and a huge piece of it. So, again, fifth stand up. Check it out. Uh, guys, that's a wrap. We did it. We got a men's and women's episode in. We got a trophy. We just had to wait to the end. So hope you enjoyed it, <laughs> listeners. Um, don't forget that essentially we talked a lot about Alonzo, the whole left back situation, Asby, Palmieri. Where does you know Alonzo even play? Do we keep him? We talked a lot about where do we think Chelsea rank? Let us know what you think about this stuff. Where are Chelsea going from here? What is our future as a club? Uh, and I would plug the Chelsea Fancast, uh, their love sport show from this last Friday, uh, February 20, what is that, 7th, 8th, something in Eighth. there. Uh, Chidge and JK talked all about uh, kind of the stadium redevelopment and you know where Chelsea go versus competing for the top trophies in Europe versus just challenging for top four, and it's really interesting. So uh, let's keep this discussion going because that's what concerned fans do. We care. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying.